can tell everybody Yeah, you can tell everybody Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man Well, you can tell everybody Yeah, you can tell everybody Go ahead and tell everybody I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man Yes, I am, yes, I am Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. And the NFL draft is now finally history. It felt like it was years of hype leading up to the draft. Some very big stories came out of it, and some good news, and um, I think some interesting news for the Green Bay Packers in the draft, and we'll get in-depth into their picks, as well as some of the more notable stories coming out of the draft uh, in the rest of the NFL. And uh, Matt, I had to start with that song just because I think it's been flying a little bit under the radar, and I don't know if you've been able to hear it at all, but I think it's a pretty good song with the NFL uh, that's not really getting enough uh, airplay on NFL broadcasts. I take it that's sarcastic, or have you just not heard it uh, that is incredibly sarcastic okay. between the playoff ad campaign and uh, the draft. It it pretty much has been in my head for the last five days. I just didn't want to make fun of you or something if you were serious. But uh, but yeah, they used it in the. I'm sure you remember, but they used it in like playoff time too. They had it with Kevin Garnett, but then they had like Kaepernick and I think like a Russell Wilson commercial too with it too. So even it's been like a year <laughs> that they've been using that song. But yeah, I'm super sick of it. I think it's kind of a dumb song to begin with. But yeah, it. Uh, it's an okay song for like a commercial or something, but if you listen to the whole song, it's like the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it really should be sung by R. Kelly in about the late 90s. Yes. All right, um, so let's get into the actual Packers draft here. And kind of a pleasant surprise in that not many people expected one of the major uh, free safeties that was available to fall to the Packers, which was about across the board considered the Packers' biggest need, and they were able to get Ha-Ha Clinton Dix from Alabama. Uh, I still am not used to saying Ha-Ha Clinton Dix as the name of a real person. I thought Ha-Ha was the nickname, and his name was Clinton Dix for the longest time. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but that's not the case. His real name's Haseen, and his last name is Clinton-Dix. Uh, obviously, you'd think anybody listening to this show knows that by now, but... Um, before we break down the rest of the draft, um, what are, is your thought on this pick? Well, I was pretty excited when he was falling all the way down to us. I, I thought for sure he wasn't going to. And the Jets took uh, Pryor, I think his name was that, the Louisville Calvin safety Pryor, first. yeah. And I think most people had Dix rated just a little bit higher than, than he was. And I think it's exactly what the Packers need. Now, I'm not a scout. I don't know what Clinton Dix is going to end up being for, for us. But, I mean think of what we've been missing since Nick Collins has been gone, and this guy is, you know, a great center fielder, he's got some great range, and he's big too, so he can tackle, so, mm-hmm. I mean, just think of, even if we have the exact same defense we had last year, and you throw a guy like this into there with everything we're expecting from him, I mean, that could be all the difference in the world. Yeah, and the word they've used ad nauseum to describe his play is rangy, which may not be the number one thing you want in a safety, but if you think about it, I mean, that's kind of what Nick Collins was in a lot of ways. And granted, he became a tremendous playmaker uh, towards the second half of his career, but I almost wonder if we don't need Clinton Dix to be the playmaker. We just need him to be the the rock back there Mm -hmm. and allow maybe Morgan Burnett to take more chances. Um, 
expecting him to be the guy to make the right reads and to be the guy who flies over and makes the play and covers for the missed assignment seems to be something he's not very good at. I mean, we've seen him get himself into position and then watch the ball slide right through his hands. So maybe if there's a guy like Clinton Dix that can be the guy to, you know, be your free safety or your strong safety and be your rangy guy, that might allow Morgan Burnett to maybe play to his strengths a little more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you just have a guy back there who's not going to make mistakes, I mean, that's that's twice as good as what we had last year or the last couple of years. So it, it, you would think it can only be an upgrade, even if he's just a, you know, a raw rookie this year. And it, it's still a big upgrade for the defense that we desperately needed. Although there is a slight downgrade of him being on the team in that his name is going to get very annoying, I think. Um, yes, and all inter- the, the bad announcer puns, I'm sure Brad Nessler will have plenty of those on, on Thursday Night Football. Oh, I'm just waiting for week one where they say, and right here Chris Berman will probably say, there's uh, no laughing matter for Russell Wilson <laughs> after an interception. And, yep. uh, and of course, his last name being Dix, uh, uh, if you've been on Twitter or been on any message board or anything, or talk radio in the state, has already lent itself to the lowest common denominator of humor amongst sure. Packer fans, so I'm sure that's not the... <laughs> I haven't heard any of that yet, but I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> well, I'm sure everyone can use their imagination a little bit there. Uh, I'll read off the rest of the names real quick, and then maybe we can pull out some highlights. Devontae Adams from Fresno State was their 53rd pick in the second round. Uh, it was the Packers' second pick, I should say, not their 53rd. They did not add a whole new team. <laughs> Uh, in the third round, 85th overall, they added Kyrie Thornton from, uh, Kyrie Thornton. Is that how you say it, right? Yep. Okay, uh, out of Southern Miss. Then in the third round, 98th pick, we got Richard Rogers out of Cal. Fourth round pick, 121 overall, Carl Bradford of Arizona State, an outside linebacker. Uh, in the fifth round, we got Corey Lindsay, a center out of Ohio State. Uh, also in the fifth round, Jared Abradaris, the wide receiver out of Wisconsin. In the sixth round, we picked up Dimitri Goodson, the cornerback out of Baylor, and then finally Jeff is. How was that pronounced? I only saw. I wasn't watching by then, so I've only read his name. Is it Jeff? I was. Janus? I was watching. I think it was Janice, but I could be wrong. Okay, Jeff Janice, the wide receiver out of the Power School, Saginaw Valley State. So, what are some of the highlights that popped out to you amongst these picks? Well, I think number one is you hit on every position you needed other than you could say inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. But you got a potential center, at least a backup center. You've got a few receivers that you could throw in there right away because we're kind of thin there now too. Get some depth, depth in the secondary, get another tight end, you get an outside linebacker, D-tackle. I mean, they really, I know they picked by best player, but they really also hit on almost everything they needed. Um, so, I mean, that's great to see. You can see these guys filling in right away potentially and making a huge impact. And I'm sure we'll see either Devontae Adams or Jared Aberdares probably have a huge role this year as well, being that number four wide out. Yeah, and I like what they did in a lot of ways. I didn't like the three receivers. Uh, yeah, that, the last one, I, was, I got a little irritated with the last one of the seventh round. Just because you can't envision a scenario in which Janice makes the team. Um, and, and he might, but you're going to lose somebody else that's already occupying a roster spot now. And I understand competition is good and best player available and all that mentality, but at some point it's like it just feels like a wasted pick because there's such a low percentage that he's actually going to make the team. Um, right. And I know that's the seventh round, but wouldn't you have liked to gamble on, uh, unless you just thought this guy had the chance to just explode, um, I I would much rather take that chance on some lower inside linebacker or defensive lineman. 
Well, right, at that point, you know, take a flyer on something that you really need, you know, maybe a hit on an inside linebacker or something. Or even at that point, um, I would have loved to have seen them take in Michael Sam. Give me an, an SEC Defensive Player of the Year. I don't care what his measurables were. Give me an SEC Defensive Player of the Year over a, a Saginaw Valley State receiver. Yeah. And, you know, Maybe Janice will end up being a great wide receiver. You never know. But mm-hmm. to me, I mean, if you can take a guy who played at the highest level and was a player of the year, um, I don't care what you think of everything else. But, I mean, to me, I would have liked to see something like that. But what what can you do? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. And some of these other guys, from what I've read, uh, Devontae Adams sounds like the closest thing to a sure thing, perhaps, at a wide receiver position. Sounds like he's going to be somewhat of a James Jones clone. Had ridiculous production. Led the nation in catches and touchdowns this year. Was in the t- uh, top five in both of those last year as well. Um, the thing about him is you always like getting a wide receiver high. You wish he could be a game-breaker. And uh, he's only averaging about 13 yards a catch at Fresno State. And, and granted, that's probably their offense. Uh, college guys don't necessarily have the big um, yards per catch average just because of the spread offense. As much as it's a high-tempo offense, it lends itself to a lot of shorter gains at fast pace. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're you're launching the ball down the field, but he, he could be interesting, and uh, from a stat standpoint, almost identical to Jordy Nelson's senior year at um, Kansas State, so I think that would be interesting. Uh, the, the tight end, Rodgers, uh, of course, people making the Cal Rodgers with the D connection, I think he'll be interesting, although I wonder if he's actually going to play tight end or if it's just going to be another log jam in receiver uh, because he's kind of had an interesting background. And uh, I do like Aberderis with the punt returning, and I just think it's cool that a guy from Watoma can go go to Wisconsin and then be uh, a a Packer, regardless of what he does for the team. I just, uh, being, you know, we're from small towns in Wisconsin, uh, Watoma is about... Uh, from where I'm sitting right now is about 45 miles to my left, so it's kind of cool to have a guy uh, make that journey. Well, right, and I mean, he's not going to be become an elite receiver, I don't feel like, but I don't really feel like there's much of a risk at him, him being bad either. I feel like he's a guy that's going to contribute and you know hang around the league for quite a while just because he makes every catch he gets open. I mean, he's not a burner or anything, but I, I really like that pick. I mean, Wisconsin or not, we know him better because of that. But I, I'm really happy with the player you get there and another guy to go out and make some big catches. Just don't let him on the field during Hail Mary defense. Yeah, don't put him in at safety. Uh, the Packers have had enough problems with that to begin with. Uh, they don't need anything else. Um, I will say I was very disappointed that they didn't get an inside linebacker. I just think... I, I I can't imagine them coming out of this, or I couldn't have imagined them coming out of this draft without an inside linebacker, and to see them not get one, and the only linebacker they get is a hybrid guy who sort of was a defensive lineman, that one's a head-scratcher to me, even if you're sticking to your best player available board. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like no matter what, if you don't take him in the first three rounds, he's probably not going to be a guy who steps in and takes a starting job away from Hawk or Jones or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd like to at least be able to develop a guy, but I mean, short term at least, you're probably not going to have an upgrade there. I don't. Know, I guess maybe that's one thing that's making me feel a little bit better. I mean, they're not great players at inside linebacker, but I don't know. I, I I guess I don't really have much of an argument against that. Obviously, you'd like to get a better one, but I don't know what their options really were later in the draft. Yeah, I think after Chris Borland left, and, and even then, you, you have to think with the way the Packers treat injuries that they might have been one of those teams that was rumored to have taken the, him off of their board. Um, they, I mean, they 
they're so cautious with injuries. And I heard somebody make the good point that as much of a motor as he's got and how maybe potential upside there is, it's scary that a guy who's going to be your first line of defense against the run game, who's going to be your leading tackler, has a messed up shoulder. Like, how long is that going to last? Right, and it's kind of small to begin with, too. So, I mean, he's going to be taking shots from a lot bigger guys in the NFL as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And he's going to have to get big guys off of him before he even can make contact with other big guys. Yeah. So uh, that'll be interesting. But real quick, the Packers signed a ton of rookie free agents like they always do. I'll just read them off real quick. Uh, I don't... I didn't recognize any of these guys. Maybe you will have... No, I, I didn't either when I read the list. Okay, well then maybe I won't uh, break down the list. Uh, you can find it online if, if people want to see it. Uh, they did get two inside linebackers. They got uh, Jake Do- uh, Doty, I think is how you say it. it. That's how it looks. It's Donut with the T-Y on the end. Um, Doty from Utah State. Uh, not really impressive measurables. Uh, sounds like he was productive, which is good. Uh, fast. And then the other one, um, I'm just reading from the Journal Sentinel, and they didn't seem too impressed with uh, the other one, Joe Thomas, out of South Carolina State. So um, they also got Chase Reddig from Boston College. Uh, Nobody else really stood out, and quite frankly, from the descriptions that were uh, supplied by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, they didn't seem all that uh, impressed. Granted, they're undrafted free agents, but you like to hope there's a Sam Shields in the bunch. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sure you'll get a couple guys that make the team, and probably one of those two inside linebackers will probably be, probably be on the 53-man roster, you would think. So mm-hmm. I'm, the Packers are, seem to be pretty good at hitting on those, so I'm sure they'll get a couple out of this group. And they got Danico Autry from uh, Mississippi State. Apparently has a wingspan of 84 inches. So Wow. Is that, is that possible? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, how, how long is 84 inches? I can't do a math that quick in my head. That's like 7 feet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> um, he's like Michael Phelps. He's only six four, so maybe he'll just uh, take the whole line and throw him down, and there you go. Other people can get through. So maybe he'll be the big star. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the rest of the NFL. And I don't necessarily want to do a winners and losers because that's everywhere. But maybe we can just talk generally. Um, what are a few things? Uh, maybe a few things in the first round that you liked, and, and then also that you didn't like. Sure. Um... Well, uh, obviously, the, there was the exciting factor of things. I mean, the quarterbacks going, Manziel going to the Browns, which is kind of where I was hoping you would go because yeah. they're a team you like to root for, and they've just have have had absolutely nothing to root for. So even if they're bad, at least they can be bad with an exciting quarterback. So better than Josh Cribbs creating all your excitement. Exactly. Yeah, and you see Bortles go three, and um, I, I don't know. Overall, I guess there wasn't anything too shocking to me. Well, then let's shift this conversation. Which of the three first-round quarterbacks are you expecting to be the best? Sure. Um, so we have Manziel, Bortles, and Bridgewater right at the end there. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess I kind of think Bortles is, is probably the best potential, but I, getting stuck in Jacksonville, I just don't know if that's a good place for a quarterback to be. But then again, Manziel doesn't have any weapons now, especially if Gordon's out for the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I think I would choose initially Bridgewater is probably my last of the three I would choose, mm-hmm. but he's got a lot of weapons and I think he's set up to potentially have a couple of pretty good seasons to start here. So they're just going to be running the ball. He's going to have open guys, and all their quarterbacks haven't been able to hit open guys the last couple of years. And I think he can at least do that much. Yeah, and and I'm tempted to say Bridgewater as well for a lot of the reasons you said. And I know Louisville they had the big bowl game against I think Florida, and mm-hmm. and they had some other games. And they are a very kind of spread heavy team. Like I don't know if he ever took a, a snap from under center. Like 
and, and am I am I wrong, off base there? No, I don't I don't think so. I didn't watch that many Louisville games other than the bowl games, but I don't remember a whole lot of under center stuff. And I guess that's uh, somewhat my concern is because a lot of these very collegey offenses, the very spread offenses, your Sam Bradford kind of guys have not translated all that well into the NFL so far. Mm-hmm. Um, RG3 had the one season, and so I guess we'll we'll maybe uh, stand corrected after that. Um, and but if you look at the, some of the guys, Colin Kaepernick's done okay, but he's not really been an elite level passer, and he's playing with a phenomenal defense. I mean, they're not going to win games. Um, and and kind of the same with Cam Newton. Cam Newton's been pretty good too, but you know he hasn't been. And and maybe I shouldn't say that he can't do it, but. These guys didn't start succeeding until they played with great, great defenses. Um, if you look at the guys who have carried their teams, they're Andrew Luck, uh, you know, guys like that who were your more yeah. traditional pro Yeah, all pro-style guys. Pretty much all of the elite ones were all pro quarterbacks. Yeah, and so that doesn't mean he can't do it, but maybe there's a little bit of a cause for concern. Johnny Manziel, I have no idea what to expect. In my mind, yeah. I just imagine him running around like crazy, dodging people, and then throwing an interception. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that's not the case, but he'll be interesting to watch nonetheless. And Blake Bortles, a lot of people have said for a long time, including me, that he might be the best pro-ready kind of guy. But all of the comparisons I've seen to him, and granted, same way as he's a Central Florida guy, if I'm flipping through the channels and my choices are Central Florida against Tulsa or Alabama against you know somebody else from the SEC like Missouri, I'm not going to watch Central Florida. Yeah. So I didn't see a lot of his games. And they say he's a lot like Ben Roethlisberger. Well, I think... To make a team like Jacksonville successful, you got to be a hell of a lot better than Ben Roethlisberger. Um, Roethlisberger is a good player, but his most success has been when he's been with the best defense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it, it's one of these cases where I know you're not going to turn it around overnight, but it feels like a lot of these guys, you need to be transcendent to be able to take these bad teams and make them good almost like an Andrew Luck where you just have phenomenal tangibles and great intangibles. You can't be Ben Roethlisberger to resurrect the Jaguars. You've got to be Peyton Manning. I mean, that's why none of these quarterbacks are working out for these bad teams, and they're just cycling through them because they're put in such a bad situation that, you know, unless you're an elite guy, it's it's almost impossible. I mean, a guy can't come in and be a, a game manager for a bad team and turn them around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got to be that Aaron Rodgers type guy, or or like like you said, Andrew Luck is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. If you're not that guy, I mean, what are you going to do for a bad team? You're going to be out of it in three four years. You're going to be Sam Bradford when the season's yep. over. You're going to have 13 touchdowns and nine interceptions and a four and twelve record. Yeah. So we'll see how that. Obviously, I hope Teddy Bridgewater doesn't uh, pan out being a Packer fan, but. Um, I think he probably has the best chance for fast success, at least in 2014, if he gets to play. Yeah. Uh, some other things I guess I'll just throw out there, and maybe you can react to them as I say them. I think um, Odell Beckham Jr. scares me on the Giants. He just feels like a, a another kind of um, Victor Cruz. And yeah. maybe I just have nightmares of the Giants and, and what they've done, especially to the Packers and to the league, I guess. But him being in New York kind of changes that dynamic and, Granted, you can't really win the Super Bowl with a good quarterback and some dynamic receivers, but gosh, if they are able to get near the playoffs with, uh, you know, which is very possible in that sketchy division, uh, that kind of scares me. Well, you almost have to pencil them in for the playoffs this year because they didn't make it last year, so, so they're, yeah. they're probably going to be in this year. I mean, this is a team that's that's 
despite how bad they looked at times last year, they finished strong, and they could be one or two pieces away from making another run, and I'd, I'd hate for that to to run through Green Bay or something. So I, for whatever reason, I, I mean, we always have to be scared of the Giants because they've got our numbers. So mm-hmm. um, not in our division, not a team we play all the time, but it, it's kind of a team that we keep our eye on outside of the division for one that we're probably going to have to mess with here at some point. Yeah, and I guess the other thing, too, uh, C.J. Mosley to Baltimore just feels mm-hmm. like a natural fit. Uh, I don't think he's going to be the next Ray Lewis necessarily, but that feels like he could definitely succeed probably better than he would have in Green Bay. The other thing, Sammy Watkins to Buffalo really confused me. They gave up way too much yeah. to get a wide receiver. I mean, ask the Detroit Lions, who had the best single season in the history of a wide receiver and didn't win a game after September how, or October, how good it is to have an elite wide receiver on a crappy team. Yeah, I mean, when you're a team that needs so much more than that, it's it's hard to give up. Well, I mean, what did they give up? They gave up next year's first-round pick and a fourth-round pick, I think, too, Correct. to move up, like, five spots. Yeah. So, I mean, they could have gotten... Khalil Mack? I mean, yeah. teams with awesome linebackers are rarely bad, if you have enough of them. It just seems so short-sighted that a team would... I mean, maybe they think Sammy Watkins is going to be Jerry Rice, and at that, you know, then it's probably worth it. But for a team that needs so, so much, it seems so short-sighted to give up your next year's first-round pick when you're probably not going to be a playoff team this year and you're desperately going to want that first-round pick next year, too. Mm-hmm. And to just give that up to move up five spots when you could have gotten Odell Beckham Jr., I, they must have had Sammy Watkins very high on their board. Yeah, and even if he's Jerry Rice, I mean, people forget Jerry Rice played with the top five defense every single year. That's not yeah. to say he's not, you know, maybe the greatest player of all time, but at that position, it doesn't matter if you don't have the other pieces. I mean, Randy Moss and Terrell Owens and Calvin Johnson, all in recent years, maybe even throw, uh, probably not Larry Fitzgerald, but guys like that have played some of the best wide receiver we've ever seen in the history of the league, and they have nothing to show for it collectively uh, when it comes to championships. So uh, I would have just let Sammy Watkins become a Raider or uh, or a Cleveland Brown or whoever had that spot. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, last thing I guess I would like to bring up before maybe we pick out some teams that we thought did well. The Rams are really putting to test the theory that you don't need a great quarterback in this league because this team outside of the quarterback position just looks awesome to me now with um uh, they drafted um uh, who who is their second they got greg robinson who's got the potential to be a great offensive tackle and then they also got aaron donald who had just ridiculous stats i know they were talking about him at at pittsburgh and he had 11 sacks and 28 and a half tackles for loss as a defensive tackle last yeah, year. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. And now you add him with uh, Jonathan Quinn, with uh, Chris Long. They got some great guys on the other levels. Their offense has got a bunch of young playmakers. If Sam Bradford doesn't get this team to 10 wins, he ought to be done in the NFL this year. Yeah, and I believe they drafted Aaron Murray as well, didn't they? Um, I think he went to Kansas City. Oh, um, you're right. They, I feel like they got somebody late. Yeah, let me uh, uh, try to see here. They got uh, Garrett Gilbert from SMU, which is... Um, oh, that's you know, not who I was thinking. <laughs> he, he was pretty sweet when uh, Colt McCoy got hurt, but... Yeah, yep. Um, that's but, yeah, you're right. I mean, they've got... I don't know what they have much at running back. Uh, I, don't, I think they have Daryl Richardson. They had a couple of guys who played okay at the end of last year, but... Uh, who every, was that, Mackey? Or, who was that guy who was awesome? Or, uh, not awesome. Yeah, there was one guy who was really good for a couple of weeks. Zach Stacy. Zach Stacy, yep. 
Um, so, I mean, they've filled out the rest of their roster. <laughs> oh, and Zach Stacy well. actually had um, a 973 yards rushing last year. Okay. So, I mean, Bradford's the reason they don't win if they don't win. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, he's got all the pieces around him to make something happen, and that defense is going to be insane this year. I mean, you, you make that defensive line even better than, than they were last year, and you had two potential defensive MVP candidates on it. So mm-hmm. they're going to be scary to play. Are they on the Packers' schedule this year? Uh, no, I don't thank, believe so. Thank goodness. <laughs> well, we get Seattle instead out of that division. Yeah. But that division as a whole is really strange. Like, if you think about it, I think Russell Wilson would do pretty well just about anywhere. But as much as I think Colin Kaepernick, some people just think he's horrible. And I think that's just because people don't like him in our state anymore. But if he was on Buffalo or Cleveland, I don't think he'd be you know, in the top half of the NFL quarterbacks. And the the Cardinals won 10 games with 150-year-old Carson Palmer last year. I mean, these teams are terrifying. Can you imagine if any one of these four teams, uh, I guess, or three, gets a legit all-star quarterback? I mean, the league better watch out if that happens. Yeah, that division is like a whole different league <laughs> than everybody else. I mean, it's a completely different style of football, and it's fun to watch, but... Just have them all beat up on each other, but you wonder how a team like like San Francisco, if you you threw them into a you know a more potent division or something, how they would stack up week in and week out. But they've all kind of built themselves around the same formula. Yeah, it's almost the SEC argument where the, the, they have great defenses. When they match up against great offenses, they tend to do very well. But at the same point, it's almost like the argument where. Um, if you stick the 49ers in the NFC North, I mean, people think, well, they, they beat the Packers every year. Well, what happens if they have – that's because they play Aaron Rodgers' offense and they break them down and they beat them in a one, one-on-one deal and then they flee town never to be seen again. Imagine if they had to play two games against that Bears offense, two games against that Lions offense, and then two against Green Bay. Yeah. I mean, it might be a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, so – uh, the reason I mentioned, I guess, the SEC is it's because people go nuts when they shut down Oregon. And then, you know, imagine if they had to play seven straight Pac-10 teams, if LSU right. would still be LSU, I guess. No, that's I, why. I agree. Well, I just wanted to make sure that the, the people out there understood my point. <laughs> uh, a lot of times I'll leave points off in limbo, and that kind of irritates me when I'm editing the show. Okay, uh, back to, uh, I guess, the draft. Are there any teams in particular that you thought did very well? Well, I mean, we've already talked about the Rams. I guess they're the kind of the one I've heard a lot of, and I thought did very well kind of filling out some of their holes. Um, I'm trying to think of who else I thought had a really good draft. I mean, the Browns helping themselves a lot, but, you know, who knows if that'll be much. <laughs> it probably won't mean much of anything, but um, I don't know. A team like the, like the Panthers, I know a lot of people are ripping on them when they were so close to, you know, maybe being really good, and then they didn't really address a lot of the needs they needed. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. To me, it seems like a lot of the, the really good teams just staying really good, and a lot of the bad teams just, you know, probably staying really bad <laughs> for the near future. Yeah, I actually really liked what Jacksonville did in a lot of ways. I, I like their the top half of their draft. They got Bortles. They got Marquise Lee, who a lot of people were high on, saying yep. he would have been where Sammy Watkins was had he come out a year early. Yeah. Uh, they got Allen Robinson, who's solid, from Penn State. But at the same point, it's like these high-drafting teams always look like they have a ridiculously awesome draft class because they're, they're drafting they're all, all those the names. Picks, yeah. yeah, they're drafting all these people we've talked about for two months. And so it's always going to look good. And I think a team like San Francisco... I thought they had a really good draft, and they had 12 picks, and seven of them are on defense. And I just went, ah, oh, 
they are just going to be the same pesky team that's impossible to score on for the rest of forever. And uh, they also added Carlos Hyde, which could secretly be, not secretly, but could be a, a kind of a dark horse, really good pick. Um, they, they got uh, Bruce Ellington out of South Carolina, who's got big play potential. So, you know, they didn't go ton on the offense, but if any of those, you know, they might have hit some guys that could be home runs. And I just thought where they were in the draft and having some extra picks, I, I thought they did real well for themselves. And if Chris Borland's any good. Yeah, and Borland, too. I mean, just reloading so that, I mean, Borland probably isn't going to have to step in and start right away, but, you know, if you lose somebody to a contract or whatever injury, you've got a guy, you know, like him who can step in and, and Jimmy Ward, who they picked at the end of the first round. So mm-hmm. they're just reloading up, and they're going to be here for a while. Well, and you think, too, having said that, they might be doing this to kind of preemptively play the cap game because – I haven't paid, I never pay that close of attention to other teams' um, free agency situation. I, it's hard enough to pay attention to the Packers' free agency situation sometimes. But if I'm not mistaken, they built a lot of that defense through free agency mm-hmm. in, in 2011 and in 2012, and they might just be thinking that we're going to lose some of these guys or they're just going to stop being effective and we're going to have to deal them. Uh, you think of like your Justin Smiths and uh, Carlos Rogers and guys like that. Yeah, they got Smith, and Whitner, Rogers, Dante Whitner, was Dante a Whitner was a bill. Um, they, I mean, they drafted their guys too. They got they got Bowman and, and Willis and all that, but and Alden Smith. But they I gotta mean, pay those guys too, uh, uh, Bowman and Alden Smith. If if Alden Smith cleans himself up and if Bowman's healthy, uh, they're young enough where they might be on their first contract. Right, and that's the problem that Seattle's running into now is because all these guys who are elite are going to want to get paid like the top guy in the league, and you can't pay every position on your defense like the top guy in the league. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they've got to get the young, cheaper guys in there ready to fill in because you can't sign everybody. And, and, again, that's what Seattle's running into. That's what San Francisco's going to run into. If you draft well, that's the downside is mm-hmm. eventually you're going to have to pay all those guys if you hit on all of them. And the Packers, you know, you see them let some of these guys walk after a few years too. It's, it's the same thing for every team. Well, it's a weird situation where you almost have to constantly draft well. Yep. And I think that maybe San Francisco is feeling the heat a little bit, probably less than Seattle, and uh, maybe the same way that uh, Carolina is a bit. I don't know about Cam Newton's contract situation, but it feels like the new NFL, um, and I was going to do a, an article about this, and I started gathering the data, but I'm you know lazy. I always promise articles, and then they never, <laughs> they never happen. But... It's interesting to me to consider how successful teams have gotten in the modern salary cap era after paying their quarterback. Because if you look at the Packers with Aaron Rodgers and with Russell Wilson and with Joe Flacco and probably what they're going through right now in the minds of the Indianapolis Colts, the Carolina Panthers, and the San Francisco 49ers is trying to win with a great team is a race to that big franchise quarterback contract because... And maybe we'll see if, if Seattle falls off after paying Russell Wilson, that might be the proof in the pudding there, is that as soon as you pay your quarterback, in a lot of ways, you are crippled from having a well-balanced team that has a whole, uh, that has, you know, limited holes. As soon as you, if you look at the Packers, next season they have four guys that will get paid half the money available. And that's Sam Shields, Clay Matthews, Julius Peppers, and Aaron Rodgers. And I think Matthews and Rodgers by themselves is, a, is like 30% of the cap. Yep, I think you're right. And so 
it's interesting to me, and I don't know your thoughts on that, if that's even true, but to me I feel like a lot of these teams with the young quarterbacks, throw Washington in there, throw the Eagles in there, they are racing to get a Super Bowl before they have to pay their quarterback because once they pay their quarterback, they almost have no choice, and then the chances of being a good team that can be consistent every year go down quite a bit. Well, I think that's absolutely true. I, I kind of wonder if that's a discussion that these front offices have. I'm, I don't know, but, I mean, it's apparent. If you have to pay somebody $20 million a year, it obviously limits the depth you can have on the rest of your roster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it it seems clear that that, that that is the case. But, I mean, in almost every one of these scenarios, you say, well, you can't not sign the guy. I mean, Aaron Rodgers just won you a Super Bowl. Joe Flacco just won you a Super Bowl. What are you going to do, just let him walk? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a... It's a really tough situation to be in because you know you have to sign them, but mm-hmm. at the same time you know that your chances after that are probably going to be much lower at, mm-hmm. at making another run at it because the rest of your roster just won't be as good as it was when you won it. you got to wonder that if Joe Flacco stays around that 78 quarterback rating for the next few years, if teams are really going to start considering not paying the big money. If if the Colts are going to say, you know what, Andrew Luck, we really like you, but I, I'm really tired of these three interception games in the playoffs. You can go if you want. We, we've we seen these young quarterbacks, and four out of five of them are at least serviceable these days. We're going to try building a great defense and become the Arizona Cardinals or the Rams sure. instead of paying you a bajillion dollars. And, I mean, the Ravens butchered themselves last year to keep Joe Flacco, and it got him nothing. He was horrible last year. Um, once he could no longer be protected by some things. And he had a bad season, and uh, he's better than he played last year. But, you know, unless you're Aaron Rodgers, where you can confidently say, and maybe Andrew Luck's in that, I don't know, but where you can confidently say that if Aaron Rodgers gets hot, who, no matter who his teammates are, we can win the Super Bowl if he has a ridiculous month of January. And guys who aren't in that category, and there's only like a handful in the history of the league, they might not be willing to pay him if some of these big contracts don't pan out. Well, absolutely. That's what I was going to say when you were talking. Is I don't think it really hurts the market for elite quarterbacks getting paid, mm-hmm. but I think it makes you more closely look at the quarterbacks you're paying the elite money because sure. you and I could have told the Baltimore Ravens last year, <laughs> you know, man, don't do it. I mean, $20 million <laughs> is way too much for that quarterback. Yeah. He had a nice run. He's a good quarterback. He's a nice starting quarterback, but you can't pay him like that because he's not going to carry your whole team to another Super Bowl by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it, it means much for the market of like Andrew Luck or you know quarterbacks like that going forward. But it very well could and probably should affect the market for you Colin know like Kaepernick, Colin, yeah, yeah, Colin Kaepernick or Russell Wilson or a guy like that mm-hmm. who is like Russell Wilson, prime example. He's taking you to a Super Bowl, but is he really going to carry your team? And are you willing to let all of your other elite players walk because you signed this guy? Where yeah. I don't know if that makes as much sense for Seattle as maybe it did for for Green Bay or something like that. Maybe it doesn't make sense to sign Wilson with that big deal. And it's going to take some guts for the first guy to not yes. do that. But, I mean, part of John Schneider, he would never admit it, but you have to wonder if he's sitting there looking at Russell Wilson's big contract coming down the road and says, you know what, this guy, by the time he went over 100 yards passing, we were up by 30 points on the best offense in NFL history. Maybe we don't need to pay him $20 million a year, and I should just try to give a bunch of small guys and keep this great defense for as long as, you know, Pittsburgh or Chicago had theirs. Yeah, and if I were him, I wouldn't. I yeah, mean, I don't know if I would either. I think you can find quarterbacks that can do a lot of similar things that Russell Wilson does and, and not pay them $20 million a year. 
Yeah, but as a fan, can you imagine? <laughs> it, yeah, it's gonna it, like you said, it'll take a lot of guts, and there's gonna be some angry fans. But mm-hmm. I think in the long run, you can't really be too concerned about what the fans think, and you have to do what's right for the franchise and be a little bit cold blooded. Yeah, and and it it'll be interesting to see. But I think it, those big quarterback contracts, especially with how inflated they've gotten in recent years, um, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens to the the Colin Kaepernick, uh, Russell Wilson. Even Cam Newton, guys like that. It'll be interesting to see what happens to those guys when they come back up. Somebody will do it. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, and we'll think about this conversation. Somebody's going to be the one that does it. They either trade them at the end of their contract or just let them walk just because they, they don't feel it's a good you know financial decision. And then Colin Kaepernick will have a ticker tape parade in downtown Nashville with his yep. $140 million contract in a bright future of 5-11 and 11 seasons. <laughs> yep. Okay, with that, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we're going to bring back a segment that, by request, that we haven't done for a while, and that is, what if? What if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. And Mikowski appears hurt. Uh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? What would the future look like if... And that signifies the beginning of What If, the segment where we take a event from Packers history, we change it a little bit, and we debate the ramifications. We haven't done this for a while because, uh, quite frankly, towards the beginning of our uh, podcasting days here at Green and Gold Forever, we did a ton of these, and we kind of ran out of scenarios to talk about. So we got a couple here from fans that we might not elaborate quite as uh, extensively on these as we have in the past, but definitely some topics that are, are fun to talk about. And uh, if, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we can talk about Packers history um, quite a bit, no matter what. So... Let's bring these up. We got a great uh, two questions here, kind of similar, uh, both submitted by fans. The first is from Chris Krieger uh, that he posted on the website today, which is, what if the 1989 Packers had snuck into the playoffs? And All right, but the 1989 Packers are one of the more interesting teams in history because they had a bunch of young talent, and this was right... You know, it had been 20 years since the Packers had been any good. They finally got what looked like an elite-level quarterback in Don Mikowski, finished second to Joe Montana in the MVP voting that year. They went 10-6. and six. It was the first time they had won 10 games since the early 1970s. So people were really excited. And uh, as, as we explained in one of our earlier podcasts when we talked about the prospect of not drafting Tony Mandrich, the Packers in 1989 uh, missed out on the playoffs because of a tiebreaker with Minnesota. So, in fact, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, the Packers won their 10th game on Christmas Eve, and then Christmas night, the Vikings hosted the defending AFC champion Bengals in a winner-take-all game, which I've tried to track down for years. I would love to see this. It's a close back-and-forth game on Christmas night on Monday Night Football. If the Bengals won, they would have been in the playoffs, and if the Vikings won, they won the division. The loser did not make the playoffs. The Vikings ended up winning a very, very tightly contested game uh, with a late-game rally, 
and so the Packers were kept at home and then were never able to reach that success with that regime again. So in 1989, let's imagine for a second that the Bengals do defeat the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And interestingly enough, a side note that uh, statistically and uh, by people that you know still talk about 25-year-old NFL to this day, the Bengals in 1989 uh, were considered by many to maybe be the best team in the AFC, despite only winning eight games. That's partially because the AFC absolutely sucked that year. The representative was the Broncos, who got crushed by the 49ers in the Super Bowl. But uh, maybe that'll affect the scenario down the road. But let's imagine the Green Bay Packers in 89 do end up winning their division. In 89, it was the last year of the 10-team playoff format. So essentially what happened was the all three division winners received first-round buys, with the first... Uh, number one overall seed, they got to play the three seed or the wild card team. And they had a rule similar to what baseball had up until a couple years ago where division teams could not play one another in the divisional round. They could in the wild card round and they could in the championship game, but not in between. Uh, very weird, and it was a rule that existed for about 20 years. Um, or the, the weird was the wild card when that was added in 1978. So about 13 seasons with this kind of stupid rule where you could play your division opponents, then not, then you could again. So in this case, the LA Rams played Philadelphia in the first round. So had Philadelphia won, they would have played San Francisco and the Packers would have played the Giants. Uh, and then if the Rams won, they played the Giants and then the Packers traveled to San Francisco. We'll go with what really happened. The Packers would have played San Francisco, which is something that Packer fans for a long time have wondered what would have happened in this game because the San Francisco 49ers were ridiculous. They had back-to-back 14 and 2 seasons in 89 and 90 and one of the only games they lost in two years' time was against the Packers at home in the 89 season. It was the last game they lost before winning the Super Bowl that year and then winning their next nine to start the 1990 season. So it was a very, very big win for the Packers. Uh, Not to derail this right off the bat, but I don't think there's any chance that the Packers win a rematch against the San Francisco 49ers. The Minnesota Vikings, a team that didn't have quite as good of an offense but probably had a better defense than the Packers, got trounced by the 49ers. This was second to, or maybe even tied, but at least in the running with the 1984 49ers team as the best team of that Joe Montana era. So I don't think the Packers get past San Francisco. Um, After that, I think obviously that changes things with the Lindy Infante era. But I I still think the same. If they go to San Francisco and they lose... 41-13 41-13 to 13, like the Vikings did, and then come out the next year, and Mikowski holds out, and then gets hurt, and they go 6-10, and 10, and then they go 4-12. and 12. I still think there's a good chance that Lindy Infante gets the boot, because almost everything is the same uh, other than the one game. So I would say, before I let Matt in here and then we get to our next what-if topic, that if the Packers do end up making the playoffs uh, in the 1989 season, they lose to San Francisco anyways, and the 89 season, instead of being a what-if scenario that people want to talk about is uh, just kind of a nice season that uh, gave us a little reprieve from the awful Packer years between Lombardi and Holmgren. Sure, and I think I would I would agree with you in, in most part there. I mean, you would think a team like San Francisco being that good, seeing a team for the second time that year could have you know made some adjustments and, and handled that Packers team, which after that year, like you mentioned, was, was not very good for the next couple of years. So it, it was kind of a more of a flash in the pan year, it seems like, than a team that was legitimately good to take down a powerhouse multiple times. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and even if had they won that San Francisco game, they would have gotten the Giants then, correct? Uh, actually, they would have hosted the Rams. Uh, huh. Because the, the the Giants lost to the Rams in the divisional round. So okay. we could pretend for a moment that they beat San Francisco somehow. Um, <laughs> and now that brings up the interesting scenario, and I guess... Even the Giants, and that's while you were talking, because I wanted to play devil's advocate so we could provide a little bit more to this. The Giants were, uh, they were second in the NFL, allowing only 15 points, and their defense, or their offense was 22 points, so 12th in the NFL. And so, they had lost to a lot of the good teams they played. They got swept by Philadelphia, they lost to the Rams in the regular season and the playoffs, and then they lost to San Francisco. Almost everybody else they beat uh, in the NFC was not very good at all. So, you could almost make the argument that in, I think with that offense, with that Infante offense, um, granted they played outdoors, but I still think in uh, the Giants, in that windy environment, probably wouldn't have beat the Giants. No. But I don't know if you want to fire up the Rams real quick. I'm, I'm right there with yeah. you. Um, what do you think happens if they play the Rams at Lambeau Field to go to the Super Bowl? A, do they beat the Rams? And B, I think they could have beat Denver. Then you, then you get a, yeah, a Denver team that just got stomped by San Francisco. That probably would have been a, a much better game than San Francisco-Denver. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you can just crack the seal and get past San Francisco that one game, I mean, if you get the Rams and that Broncos team after that, I mean, they would <laughs> they would have a good shot. I, I don't know if they could do it, but if you get two teams that are definitely beatable, and obviously if the Packers is going to win the Super Bowl that year, that greatly changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't think they get past San Francisco, but if they do, I mean, there's why not? I mean, why couldn't they have that year? Yeah, and that's strange to think about. Can you imagine Lambeau Field in 1989 hosting the NFC Championship game? What kind of environment that would have been like? Mm-hmm. Um, and and who knows the Everett was pretty clutch that season, so maybe they would have lost to them. And then yeah, the Rams weren't a bad team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and here's kind of the interesting thought, and it might have just turned out how it did anyways. But almost no one who won the Super Bowl in that era was like we see now with teams like Tampa Bay in 2002 and some of these other teams that have won Super Bowls and then just or gone to Super Bowls and just disappear. In that era, that didn't happen. If you won a Super Bowl, you were around for a long, long time. Um, I mean, unless you won it at like the end of your cycle, like the 91 Redskins, almost everybody who won the Super Bowl with a young team was good forever. And Mikowski's injury in 1990 was probably not caused by his holdout. But imagine if he doesn't hold out, and they start out right away. And maybe when Mikowski gets hurt, instead of being 6-10 and 10 and out of the playoffs, they're 8-8. Eight and eight, and make the playoffs because the Saints were the sixth seed that year. In 1990, they started the six playoff teams. Then they make the playoffs, and maybe they don't go anywhere. They probably get trounced by the Bears in the first round um, because their team was weaker. But they're still there. That now, now we've built back-to-back playoff teams. And now Tim Harris doesn't want to leave in 1991. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe... Instead of having to get Mike Tomzak to come in in 1991, they can get one of these other good. I don't I don't know who would have been out there to trade for, but um, I don't know. Uh, I really can't think of where to go to after the Mikowski injury. However, mm-hmm. um, do you have anything you want to add to any of that? No, I mean I think we both we both agree that had they gotten past San Francisco, I mean that would have and could have probably changed drastically changed things, and then obviously, like we've talked about with these before, you might have avoided the whole 
the whole Favre era altogether, you know, things just been changed a little bit differently. But um, as a what if, I think we both agree that it probably wouldn't have ended much different had they made the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, I'm it, and let's say they did win the Super Bowl in 1989. Uh, being the age we are, if they had to get one Super Bowl before Aaron Rodgers or at all, I'm glad it was in 1996 when we were at yes. least sort of old instead Not two of years old. <laughs> two yeah. years old. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that would be uh, interesting. Uh, just kind of one last thing to throw on there. If they win the Super Bowl in 1989, which neither of us think would have happened, but had they somehow beaten San Francisco, pr- not probably, but had a reasonably good chance of happening, how long does Infante last even if the rest of 1990 and 91 end up exactly the same? Yeah, that's tough. Um, I, I don't know if the stats to bear this, but it seemed like there was at least a little bit more coach stability back then that he might have at least gotten another couple of years and might have lasted through, you know, 92, 93. But mm-hmm. 4 and 12 years are pretty tough to overcome, no matter what you've done in the past. Yeah, I'm trying to think of somebody who could even be reasonably um, compared to him. And I guess, let me look up real quick while we're talking. I think the only guy I can think of that kind of fell off after um, after going to the Super Bowl was Raymond Berry of the uh, 1985 Patriots. And I think he had some rotten seasons after that. So let's see. Raymond Berry, they went to, lost the Super Bowl in his second season. So this would have been uh, similar to Infante winning the Super Bowl in his second season. They went to, back to the playoffs the next year and lost their first game. So let's say that Mikowski doesn't hold out. They go 8-8, eight and eight, and then that exact same thing happens. So they go to the playoffs and lose their first game in 1990. Then after that, they went 8-7, and 9-7, and 5-11, and, and the 5-11 and 11 season got rid of him. So oh. that was only a few years after. And New England probably was as down, if not for, you know, they were as, probably as bad as the Packers uh, after that. Um, or at least having little history. They had a little bit more, um, some decent seasons in the late 70s. But So maybe with the Packers, I guess I don't know. if Does Bob Harlan still... I think Bob Harlan still does become president because he's in 1989. I guess it's interesting to think. I guess I'll just throw a, 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 a thing out there. I would think that if they go 4-12, and 12, he's fine uh, for one year. But if they go 4-12 and 12 again in 1992... Or maybe make a little bit of an improvement. I don't think with the way the team was, and if Mikowski is hurt and he's not the 1989 Don Mikowski, I would say that they're still probably looking for a new coach by 93 or 4. Yeah, I mean, if the, I would think the 4-12 and 12 season would do it. I mean, especially coming off a Super Bowl in two years before, oh, I, maybe that true. puts even more pressure on you. I mean, that's what we saw with, with Gruden in Tampa, right? I mean, they... Mm-hmm. Got rid of him pretty quickly. I know there was other issues. Uh, there. No, he stayed till 2008. But he every time okay. he'd have two, he'd have a four and twelve season, and then he'd win the division, and then have another four and twelve, and win the division. I think right. they did that through the whole like oh four to oh seven. They alternated division wins with four and twelve seasons. Mm-hmm. I guess one last thing, and the other one we were going to talk about, which we sort of addressed, was uh, John Bellish's question about what if uh, the Packers would have made the playoffs in 1990, and we kind of talked about some different scenarios there. So. Uh, maybe we'll get into that on, a, on another time, but I think this pretty much uh, suffice or is sufficient in talking about that category. Yep. But let's say they win the Super Bowl in '89, and Mikowski still destroys his shoulder in 1990. They gave him 91 anyways to work it out in the real timeline, and then 1992 he was the starter and got hurt again, and they went with Favre. But Mikowski was ready to go in the second half of the 1992 season, and they just chose to go with Favre. 
had Mikowski been a Super Bowl winner, how long do you think they give him a chance to regain form before they move on? Yeah, that's that's tough too. I mean, have because he, I mean, he played in their four and twelve year for the most part, correct, and just didn't play very well. He played half a season and was pretty bad. And Tom Zach played almost the entire second half of the season. Sure. Uh, with Mikowski as he was injured, uh, he was in uniform almost every game, but he had like a really bad hamstring; he could hardly move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough for a guy to to finish second in the MVP MVP voting and uh, and then go win a Super Bowl and then without really even giving him a shot because he's hurt all the time to just leave him on the bench. But I mean, Farb did come in and play well, but I would think had he won a Super Bowl, they probably would have stuck him back in there when he was ready to go. Yeah. I think at the same point, no, having having said that, especially, let's say you're right and Infante does get the boot after 1991, after 4-12 season, and Holmgren does come in, and because Mikowski's hurt, Ron Wolf still goes and gets Brett Favre. I think that Mikowski probably gets to come in for the rest of the 92 season, and then if they don't make the playoffs or if they don't sustain that success, I was going to say that he gets more time, but I bet you Favre comes in and... We have an example of this in the past. Kurt Warner was 50 times better than Don Mikowski was in 1989, and after a bad, a, a bad 2002, where this is the year after he was the the league MVP for the second time in three years, and their team lost the Super Bowl on a last-second field goal, and he's injured, and Mark Bolger has a real good season. He had one bad game to start 2003, and they basically cut ties with him and said Mark Bolger is our new quarterback. This yeah. is a guy who's 31 years old, had had, you know, three of the best seasons we've ever seen in a row, enough to where I used that to put him on my top ten quarterback list, and they got rid of him, and so I think that uh, they probably go with Favre in 1993 if Mikowski doesn't uh, play lights out in the second half of 92. Gosh, that's kind of crazy, isn't it, with the bolster thing? Imagine had they held on to Kurt Warner through that through that time. I mean, they might have had a couple more Super Bowl appearances. Yeah, you never Instead know. Instead of being awful. Yeah, but at the same point, um, not not to do the the Rams what if, but yeah. <laughs> but Bolger was still pretty good. It didn't didn't he go to the Pro Bowl and yeah, in, he had a few years where he was really good, and then it just seemed to drop off all of a sudden. Yeah, because he got him to what? He got him into the playoffs, and they beat Seattle, and then they had some rough seasons where he was hurt. And I think he went to the Pro Bowl in '06. Um, I always remember that season because he played really well in Lambeau in that game where uh, Darren College plopped on the fumble, yes. and it was like a. Just squirted out from underneath him. That's still one of the main things I think of for that season for some reason. But I think of 2006, I think of Brett Favre injuring his arm, that ulnar nerve injury that he kept getting against Mm -hmm. the Patriots, and then Darren College squirting on a ball. Or no, (laughs) let's edit that out. Okay, that's enough for 1989. Uh, we've talked a lot about this team, so I would suggest anybody who's a fan of the Packers and hasn't delved into 1989 yet, uh, try to read about it and take a look at it, because it really is one of the more remarkable seasons of the unremarkable uh, Packers era of losing. So, Matt, I think we ought to wrap it up. This went way longer than I, I yep. thought it was going to go. Um, I guess the only thing I have to ask you now is, as I'm sitting here, I have a new laptop, so I'm no longer in my office, I'm in the living room, and uh, I always have the two TVs set up to watch multiple sports uh, uh, at different times, and right now on my one screen, the Montreal Canadiens are up 2 to nothing yeah, over the Boston Bruins. And so how does that make you feel as a longtime devoted New York Rangers fan who saw one of the bigger wins in recent franchise history yesterday? 
Oh, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm cheering hardcore for the Canadians in this game. The Bruins have had the Rangers numbers, and the Canadians are, you know, kind of an up-and-coming team, too. So, they, I mean, the Rangers have already taken out the Flyers, the Penguins, and to take out the Bruins would be a pretty sweet playoff run. But mm-hmm. I'll take the matchup and against the Canadians, so I'm, I'm hoping they can hold on to this one. Does this scare you from, what was it, 2011 or 2012, when it looked like they had the, the nice matchup with the Devils, and then and they didn't yeah. get it done? Yep. I, I was thinking the same thing that year. I was cheering for the Devils, and they couldn't pull it off, but... I guess, even still, I'll take the worst team <laughs> rather than, than think about that. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll cheer for them, too, then, since I was actually more pumped for the Rangers game yesterday than I have been in a ho- for a hockey game in a long time. Um, I was a pretty big fan, too, probably 10 years ago, and then the lockout kind of mm-hmm. killed my fandom. But I, I was kind of rooting real hard on your behalf, and I was on my feet for that last two minutes. Yeah, that was a wild game. I was sitting, I had a stool pulled up right in front of the TV, and I was sitting <laughs> with my face right against the TV, and Henrik making all those saves. That was pretty intense. Eh, who doesn't make a, 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 a stick-free save by cupping the, the puck in your non-glove hand? That's yeah, yeah, that was insane. That was a, if you hadn't watched hockey yet, um, I hope you saw that game, or at least tuned into a little bit of the playoffs, because the NHL playoffs are about as good as it gets. Oh yeah, definitely. Very good stuff. And one last thing I was going to bring up here, and I don't know if you want me to, but I was just going to say that from me and everybody probably at Green and Gold Forever that we hope your your rehab's going well. Matt, if those who don't know, where I'm just a, a blowhard who watches a lot of sports and otherwise is a very lazy person, Matt's actually quite the athlete. And uh, he, this year, went out for semi-pro football, and he made the team not only that, but he was named a starter on both offense and defense, and then uh, unfortunately suffered a foot injury that's going to sideline him this season. So I don't know if you want to say anything about that, but I think you should uh, bask in the glory of how good of an athlete you are. And uh, that were, uh, I'm, me, it goes without saying, but I'm sure other people out there who like our show are probably thinking of you. Well, thanks a lot, and thanks for the compliments and the well wishes. Yeah, it sucked uh, a week before the the game started, and right when they announced starters, and I get my foot squashed, and I popped some tendons in there. So i still got three more weeks to go where I can't put any weight on it, and it's already been three. So I, I'm on crutches, and i got a cool little scooter. I drive around <laughs> work, and um, it's it's not great, but I guess you kind of deal with it as it comes. Was that the official diagnosis they gave you, a squashed foot? Yeah, squashed foot syndrome. Okay. Oh, syndrome. Okay, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the SFS, huh? That's, yep. that's always it's a, deadly. It's tough. All right, so we'll probably see, or uh, I guess everybody will hear from us probably in another month or so, and maybe even more. I know um, we we like to to do these podcasts and try to be a little bit more regular with them than we have been in previous off seasons, but. Really, up until training camp starts, there's not a whole heck of a lot to talk about. So maybe we'll come back in a month or six weeks or so and talk about the always fun top 100 players of the year list that the NFL Network does. Uh, the Boston Bruins did just score right now, so a little bit tighter of a game. Maybe we'll come back and we'll bask in the glory of a Rangers-Stanley Cup win. Absolutely. All right, so until then, uh, for Matt in Eau Claire, I'm Eric in Oshkosh. Um, thanks for listening. Take care, everyone.